0: Good morning, and would you please open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. I'm speaking this morning on a subject that is uh, very basic to the Christian life for all of us, the issue of forgiveness. All of us today, we need forgiveness personally from God We need forgiveness from our fellow men. But then there's another aspect, and that is that we need to also issue forgiveness from our lives toward other people. And there are those three aspects that are very much a part of any Christian's life. And what I want to share this morning has been a personal journey for me. It's a personal battle. I personally have been able to hold grudges for a long time. It's just something that seems to come, especially with I don't know, I guess, I don't know if all of you have that problem or not, but I do. It's easy for me to hold a grudge. And so today I just want to share, what I share this morning, I share from a sense of need, something that I do not feel like I have totally overcome, I've not, I'm, I'm, I'm in the trenches. It seems like sometimes God takes a, when there's a special issue that a person deals with at the time of conversion, God just takes it away. And it's no more an issue. But there are other times I can testify that it's not that way. When it's a journey that continues on and it's just something that we need to grow in. And that's the way I've found my life to be. And very likely some of you can relate to that. But here we have the Lord's Prayer here as it's known. And beginning in verse 9 it says, After this manner therefore pray ye, our, our Father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now there's a key phrase then that I believe is very important in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I believe that our prayer life and our connection with Jesus Christ is directly connected to our aspect, to the aspect of our forgiveness that we issue to our fellow men. In fact, let's just read on. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. It looks to me like. As I look into this passage, there is a definite connection with our prayer life, our contact with Jesus Christ, God the Father, in the avenue of prayer and communication back and forth. I believe the heaven turns to iron when we hold a grudge against our fellow man. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 18, and we look at even the more intricate passage here. Beginning in verse 21 here, Peter is coming with this interesting Idea. He says, and Peter and said, Lord, how oft shall I, my brother, sin against me and I forgive him? Until seven times. I think he thought he was being liberal. And Jesus saith unto him, I say, not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. That's 490 times. I think by that time we'd lose contact, count. So I believe what he's saying is just keep on doing it. it there's no really, there's really no end. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Now I don't know if that was gold or silver talents, but if it's silver talents, I believe it's over ten million. If it's gold, then it's over two billion, if I understand right. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Look, there is a word there in that word, last verse, moved with compassion. Compassion is intricately tied to the issue of our forgiving our fellow men. As God in compassion looks down and forgives us, so compassion toward our fellow men is key for our releasing them in forgiveness. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou wast. And his fellow servants fell down on his feet. besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, for I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou have also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every man his brother their trespasses. There's a couple of keys I want to pull out of here. First of all, the first servant who had that tremendous debt. When he came, when his lord came, when he came to his lord, he said, "Have compassion on me, I will pay thee all." There was a problem here with his mentality. There was absolutely no way that in a lifetime of service that he was ever going to pay that back. And that's the first issue. But I believe that this man had he did not grasp the totality of his personal debt. And that first man and that first debt represents every one of us and our debt of sin to our God. In a lifetime of serving, we can never pay back. The debt has been paid by Jesus Christ. And not a one of us can ever pay that back. This man said, look, have uh, have mercy on me. I'll work hard. I'll pay it all back. Impossible, my friends. That was the first issue where that man failed. His mentality wasn't right. He never grasped the totality of what he owed his God. And therefore that impacted how he looked at his fellow servants. So this other man who owed him but just a small debt. I don't remember the figure there. Just a small debt. When he came and said, I'll have compassion on me, I'll pay you all, would have easily been payable. Easily been payable. But no, he doesn't forgive him and throws him into prison. I don't know how he's supposed to pay it from there, but that's what he does. He was unreasonable toward his fellow man. But do you realize that when we have a grudge against someone else, that same thing begins to happen in our heart and life. We suddenly, somehow we don't realize the compassion, the debt of compassion, the debt that we've had toward our God, and that we will never in a lifetime of service be able to pay that back. And so when we begin to deal with our fellow servants in a way Where we're not able to forgive them, or we can't lay aside the grudges and come to reconciliation, at that point, we begin to block our own relationship with Jesus Christ. But there's something in this passage that really grips me. Look, the first time God said, I have compassion on you, I have forgiven, I have released you from the debt. But when He did not release His fellow servant, God came back. The master came back and said, look, I'm reassigning you your debt. To me, that's a terribly sobering thing to think about. Though we have been forgiven, if our relationship with our fellow man are not kept current and open, if I understand this scripture correctly, God reassigns to us the debt that has been released. I'm open for teaching on that. But that's as I see the interpretation of this Scripture. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm, that's terribly certain to, sobering to me to think about. That God would reassign to me the debt of the sin that I can never fully pay because I'm holding a grudge against someone else. Now there's a lot of aspects in this and I almost regret having spoken on this this morning, because I'm going to be short in time, I know that, but it's a subject we wouldn't get through with anyway. But I want to tell you a story of something that happened personally in my life. was very personal to me, and it taught me, I hope I have taught, been taught something through this. We went to Kenya in the year 2000, the first part of the year, and this happened on November 6th, Monday, November 6th of the year 2000, there was a, we lived in a compound with fellow missionaries and we were having a pastor, going to have a pastor's meeting that morning when there was a message that reached the compound that one of our church brothers, his bull, had gotten a hold of him and guarded him to the point that he needed medical attention. Where that man lived was back through and across the swamp and back the only access to it that we knew of was through a, over a rickety bridge and back to, to, through the sagebrush back to his house. Well, not just anybody could go, but Brother Ken Miller was there on temporary leave, uh, temporary covering for another missionary. He was home on furlough. And so he was in the compound, and he said, look, I, I, I'd like to take this assignment. So we released him to go to t- do that assignment. My son Gene, who was 18 at the time, went along along with a brother by the name of Joshua Tiana who was the national brother who was also in the, happened to be in the compound at that time, he, the three of them headed out there to brother, brother Tom Boya's house to pick him up. They came out to the area where they had to park their vehicle, cross the rickety bridge and back through into where the brother lived and they'd taken the wheelchair along so they could carry him across the bridge on the wheelchair if necessary because you couldn't wheel it across. There were too many large gaps on the bridge. So they carried the wheelchair and carried him out on the wheelchair and brought him out, took him for medical treatment, and the doctors treated him and said, He's good enough. He doesn't have to stay. He can go back home. So they began to go and it, they, they took him home. And when he got back to his area, Tom said, Look, we don't have to stop here. I can show you a way around this swamp so you can drive right back to my house. So they did. They drove around the swamp and Tom was able to tell them how to get to his house. They dropped Tom off. But when they turned around to come back, the problem was there were no roads. They could not see their own tracks well enough to know how to get back out. So they began to wander around there trying to get their way back, but the whole community was hostile. Just that Sunday before the Monday at one of the churches we had been warned that that area is hostile. They are not happy toward us, toward our church. Uh, Members from that, people from that community were beginning to attend our church and it was causing, causing friction with some of the local people who did not like the idea of some of their people coming to our congregation. So there was a friction that was beginning to build up, and the area was hostile. So as they were now trying to find their way back out and could not find their way back out to the road, they stopped at one of the local huts or houses there to ask for direction if they could tell them which way to go. But instead of getting the direction, they got, if I recall correctly, sort of a blind stare just a bland stare and they weren't getting help so they continued on until they came to a place where they could see in the distance they could see the gathering place of the local women where there was a, where there was a well and the women were at the well and that's the gathering place they, do, they come there to do their washing to draw their water and all of that kind of thing so they have this gathering of the local women as they approached that there went there was a whale that went up. Now, the African has what we call, it sounds like a siren. They have a way of, especially the ladies, they have a way of putting out a whale at the time of death or the time of distress or whatever that carries for long, long distances. Well, that's what happened that morning. As Ken and Jean and Joshua the vehicle approached they were hoping to find help and direction as they got to that spot instead of finding help the whale went out and the bush became alive people started coming and there's one young man that came to the passenger side Ken got out to ask for direction, and someone smacked him across his face, and he lost his contact, and he has very poor eyesight without that contact, and he was the driver. On the other side, a young man came to Gene and said, I'm going to kill you, and Gene looked him square in the face and said, we need help. Which way should we go? God touched that man's heart. And he said, go this way. Told him what direction to go. Well, they got back into the vehicle. Ken had not been able to get any help. And so, Jean said, the guy says, go that way. But they didn't know if they could trust him. And so, they turned the opposite direction. Honestly, they could have gone that way. That would have been the way that would have taken them out. So, now, they turned the other direction. And they were dodging the cactus and the sagebrush and whatever there was back in their thorns and all of that thing. And then they could see in the low, far in the distance, they could see the Nairobi Road. So there was no road, and they're beginning to head toward the Nairobi Road as much as they can, dodging the sea. And they could hear the coming of the mob. By now, the mob was coming, running after them, and they could hear the noise of the mob, the shouts and the screams of them as they were coming after them. They were doing okay until they came To a riverbed, dry riverbed. But it was pretty steep on each side. On the other side was also a group of people. What they did not know on the other side was a friendly group of people, including, if I understand right, some members of the congregation, of our local church congregation. And they were hoping to get them to cross, literally, take a chance and cross the river, come to our side. You'll be okay. It was blocking them from the from the Nairobi road, so they had to turn. They, they did not understand what was going on on the other side, so they turned, and in doing so, they came to the spot where they got to a rice field. Fortunately, the rice field was dry at the time. They had a four wheel drive vehicle, like a cruiser kind, and they began to jump the levees of the rice paddies trying to head toward the Nairobi Road. And as they were jumping the rice paddies suddenly they came to a spot where it was too high they bottomed out and they were done. And the mob caught up with them pulled them out of the vehicles tied them up and for a couple hours they were out there in the hot equator sun as the mob tried to get together in unity how they could kill these men. They tied them together, brought them up beside the vehicle and it looked like they were going to try to burn, set the vehicle on fire and burn them. They couldn't unify themselves in that so they, they brought them over to another side. By this time, The same young man that had told Gene, I'm going to kill you, had caught up with the mob. And he had a machete in his hand, and they had tied these three men up, and now they were lined up over here tied to each other. And he stood between the mob and those three men. And I just remember Gene said, the eye look in his eyes was not a normal look of a regular man. It was like he was possessed. He went from side to side and he held that mob back. Meanwhile, there was a church brother who heard about this and he was pedaling, he was pedaling at all speed, as fast as he could go. He was pedaling toward Kisumu, where we live, to give us the word. He tried phones on the way and nothing worked. And finally, he got there all out of breath and he told us what's going on. We jumped into a vehicle and we began to head out in that direction and as we were going out the locals that were with us, the brother that had brought us the message and others said, this is not right, you shouldn't be going out here, you need help, you need to take someone with you. So we stopped at the local chief's camp, unbeknownst to us, the chief, the sub-chief, and the district attorney, district officer were meeting at that moment. And we just sort of burst into their meeting and told them that we got help, we have an emergency, we need help. They looked at us and we saw we weren't going to get any help. And I looked at Mark Kitper, who was the driver of our vehicle, and I said, we're not getting any help here, let's go. We piled back into that vehicle and we headed back and we started going back into the area. And again, the church brothers said, don't do this, this is stupid. So we went past that area and out into another little town And we stopped at the local police station, and you tell us, you can tell me what we did wrong. We probably did a lot of things wrong. And we went into the police chief, unbeknownst to us, the church brother had been there and had been pleading for help and hadn't gotten help. When we got there and we told him what our dilemma was, at first he sort of smirked at us, and then all of a sudden God changed his mind. And he turned around and he grabbed about three or four guys and he opened a locked cabinet armed them with, I guess, AK-47s or some kind of automatic uh, guns, gave them to him and said, bring somebody back. And they jumped into the back of our vehicle and we began to go in, back into that area. And as we were heading back into that area, I met a church brother and we said, which way? And instead of answering, he threw himself onto the ground and wailed the death wail. We thought we were too late. And then... Another one pointed, and as we looked out in that direction, we could see the smoke from the burning vehicle. We did the same thing they did. We began to jump the levees of the rice field until we bottomed out. The doors of the vehicle popped out, and everybody out of the vehicle and began hoping to run in that direction. We were heading in that direction as fast as we can, and of course the police with us, those guys were in shape, and raring to go, and they zipped across those rice fields like a bunch of rabbits. And I'm going to say that group of that mob that had gathered around those three men back there and around the burning vehicles probably around 200 people. But I'm going to say within 30 seconds, the prairie was dead. Everything was gone. Everybody disappeared into the brush, except for our group. It seemed to us that we were too late. And then we saw three men stand up. It had taken them some time to turn their backs to each other, loosen the ropes, so they could begin to head our direction. God spared them that day. God gave me back my son. Gave Ken's wife Linda back her husband. And Josh's wife got her husband back too that day. I didn't think we just thought that it was terrific that God had delivered that brought that kind of deliverance and The story could go on and on and on. And I thought it was a done deal. As a family we were working through it and it was difficult for me to to believe that these people could not understand that we had not come over there to Kenya for any reason of ill will. We had come to bring the gospel, the gospel of peace. How could they ever misunderstand to make a long story short, there's a lot here that I'm just going to skip over. About two months later, I'm going to guess. By that time, the rains had come and the water was high. We decided to wade back to where our, that burned vehicle was, and just to look at it, just to look around.